Listening to Shtetl on the Shortwave on CKUT 90.3 FM. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and teching the show today is Parker Ma. Shtetl is a Yiddish word that means small town or village, and Shtetl on the Shortwave is a radio show about Jewish arts and culture in Montreal. Stay tuned today, we've got Yael Naim and Jennifer Hirschman Capraru. Welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave on CKUT. That was She Was a Boy, the title track off of Yael Naim's new album. And we're very excited to have her on the show today. And we're going to be talking with her shortly. And also on the second half of the show, we're going to be speaking with Jennifer Hirschman Capraru. She's the director of a play called The Monument that's going to be at the Théâtre Mai on May 10th and 11th. And it's about the genocide in Rwanda. And all the actors in the play are here from Rwanda. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing the play and we're going to hear from her in the second half of the show and if you're listening live that's great and you can also always listen to shtetl on the shortwave on the website shtetlmontreal.com and at the website there are tons of things to check out clips to learn yiddish there's a section called what's new where you can find out what's happening in in jewish arts and culture there's a magazine and one of the uh articles in the magazine is a regular feature. It's called Shift Happens. And it's it's a very funny and poignant journal of a newly single mother named Rebecca Goldfein. She's just had, uh, she has a little kid, a three-year-old, and she had a new baby, and she's on her own. And we hear all the ins and outs of it. And you can check that out at shtetlmontreal.com. But because Sunday is Mother's Day, I wanted to dedicate this show to all the mothers out there and wish everybody happy Mother's Day. But in particular to Rebecca Goldfein and to all the women who are out there doing it on their own. This next song is dedicated to you. It's André Toussaint, and he is the King of Calypso, the late King of Calypso. And this is a really fun, beautiful version that he did of a classic Jewish song, My Yiddish Mama. My 
Cause it is. special show. I'm so excited. Yesterday was my birthday, and my big birthday present was that I got in touch with Yael Naim and that she's going to be on the show today. It's very exciting. I would never have heard of her or her music if it hadn't been for Shtetl on the Shortwave and all the Jewish uh, artists that I discover through the show. So it's exciting for me to get to talk to some of them. And Yael is going to be playing tomorrow night in Montreal. So she'll be on the show in just a few minutes. And before she is, I thought it would be nice to hear one more of her songs. It's called Come Home, and it's off of her new album, She Was a Boy.
So that was the beautiful Yael Naim, and the song was called Come Home. It's off of her new album, She Was a Boy. And we're very, very excited to have Yael Naim on Shtetl on the Shortwave today. Yael, welcome to the show. Hello. Your fans in Montreal are so excited that you're coming to play here. Uh, we, we've been waiting to see you for a long time, so we're happy that you're coming. Tomorrow night, right? You're playing at L'Astral? Yes, yes, tomorrow night. Okay. So I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the new album. She was a boy. Why? Why did you call it that? Uh, first of all, it's the, she was a boy is the name of one of the songs. And when I when we finished recording, I felt this sentence was representing uh, most what I was trying to say in in all of the songs. And it's like a lot of the songs speaks about the process of growing and discovering that you, as a human being, it's very complex. Um, what's happening inside of us. There's some very dark sides and very light sides. And also about being who you are means being different than accepting the fact that you are what you are and then accepting the difference of each person. Mm -hmm. She was a boy. And uh, your first solo album was called In a Man's Womb. So I think I see a bit of a trend there. Yeah. Yeah. She was in a man's womb and then she became a boy. (laughs) 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 Uh, I think it it speaks about the complexity. Uh, In a man's womb, maybe I was like very young and I felt like I was myself inside a womb yet. Uh And And then you were born with a new soul, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Like new soul was not, it was more like... New soul was written in when I just finished a very like a hard period when I discovered I did the wrong choices and many mistakes and I was really pretentious. 
So then I said to myself, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not an old soul like I thought. And I don't know a lot about life and I, I'm just a new one. I need to learn everything from the start. Wow. And so... It's amazing because if you were feeling like you made a lot of bad decisions, clearly that song was a good decision. How did it feel when Apple Computer approached you to use New Soul for their, their MacBook Air ad? Was it, Did Steve Jobs call you himself? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was called The Label. And we were really happy because we recorded this album, both, by the way, in my apartment and alone, you know, during two years and with a lot of ballads in Hebrew. So it was such a surprise to, to know that many people all over the world will be able to hear this song. And maybe if they're curious enough, they'll be able to discover the rest of the project. So, And so it happened. So it was an incredible uh, feeling for us. Okay. I wanted to ask you about that. Why uh, on this new album, because on the first album that you did where there was New Soul, you sang in French and in Hebrew. And on this new album, it's all in English. What? How did you make that decision? Um, a lot of things in music, are not for me, are not really like decisions. It's more emotions that comes out. So when I write, I don't decide, oh, now it's going to be a song of Hebrew. Oh, now it's going to be in English. <laughs> It comes out the way it is. And maybe if I try to analyze what happened is that I moved from Israel to Paris and I usually always wrote in English. And then after four years in in Paris, I really missed home and I started to connect myself in some way. And in that period, I started writing in Hebrew for my life. And then things started to, to be better and I started traveling and things with my family got more connected and and then suddenly I when I tried to write in Hebrew again it didn't came up like mm-hmm. this. so I I know it will be back again it's only periods in life but um, how have people in France reacted to this like were they have you gotten any criticism that none of the songs were in French or are people happy and excited about the album no matter what you produce um, most of the people were happy and asked the question like you did like why why there's no more songs in Hebrew, so I explain. Uh, and yes, we were really had to discover that people still follow our music and, and come to the concert, follow follow what we do, so it's something that touches us really deeply. Okay. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your background, because when when I was trying to write up where you're from, so you were born in France, you lived in Israel, your parents are Tunisian, uh, Tunisian immigrants to France, and I was wondering, like, what, which one do you identify with most, being Israeli or French or coming from a Tunisian background? I feel, um, I feel like I'm uh, a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely feel I have two homes, like Israel, my childhood home with all my friends, my family, and uh, you know the sea, the sun, and <laughs> lots of good things, and my new life in France. So it's my second home. Uh, I I was never I never went to Tunisia, so I don't know this part uh, of my parents. I only know that we eat couscous, <laughs> all kind of a Tunisian cultural thing, but. So I can only feel of having two homes, I think. Okay. And touring now, being in the world that you're in, do people often talk to you about 
um, the fact that you come from Israel, does that come up a lot with people? Do you, do you receive any criticism or are people generally, uh, do people generally not talk about that part of, of your, your background? Uh, no, of course I speak about it. Everyone speaks about it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, sometimes it touches the politics, sometimes not at all, and just the culture, sometimes the, the songs. Uh, it's what I am. And then I'm really happy to discover that people are really curious just to to hear. You know, they don't come with uh, some judgment. They just ask, you know, what I think or where I come from. And so it's really nice to discover this. What what kind of questions do people ask you about that, about being Israeli? Oh, it depends. It can be how was life there, or if I think there will be peace one day, even if I'm not qualified to, to know to know that, like what I feel about it. Um, and then I I just speak about what I feel or what I lived, um, you know. Okay, well, I guess I can ask that then too. If other people are asking it, I could ask too. <laughs> so, what was it like growing up in Israel, and how do you feel about like? Do you have a complicated connection to it? Like you, you were in the Israeli Defense Force as a musician, right? A soloist yeah. for the Israeli Air Force, and you grew up in Israel, and it's your home. So, how do you feel about it, and and are you hopeful about about what's happening there? That there will be peace and. Um. My childhood as a child was really sweet, but because, you know, I was not aware of most of the things happening, except, um, you know, some period when there there was some danger in getting into too crowded places. But but then when I grew, and especially when I started traveling, um, uh, it was a hard period because I felt like I needed to choose my side. Mm-hmm. Like everybody tell you, you have to choose your side. And and then I start noticing that all over the world with a lot of problems between communities or countries or even people, even, you know, just simple people, there's always this problem that comes uh, that comes again and again, like choose your side so you are with us or against us. Mm-hmm. And maybe this creates a lot of compli- conflicts in the world. Mm-hmm. The fact not to feel that we are all together suffering from the same problem. It's not about a side. It's about finding a way to live together and to to make, you know, if if you are happy, I will be happy, and then we'll be happy together. And if you are miserable, you will cause me miser- You will make me miserable too, and I'll make you miserable again. And it's endless. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like an endless road. So of course I have hope because in in history a lot of young countries did a lot of stupid things in the beginning and then. Found a way to resolve it, mm-hmm. and I, I really, I hope and I believe that the generations to come will try to do things maybe differently. I don't have the solutions, of course, but um, I know we are fed with a lot of fear, uh, and I can understand why each side is afraid because uh, it's life, you know, it's life thing. So maybe if one day we'll stop fearing so much and and I don't know maybe something in us will be able to understand the other side and of course the other side will be able to understand each other and then to find a new way mm-hmm. uh, then of course most of the time unfortunately a lot of the wars are not because of the people it's because of other interests and money and 
government. So, so if it weren't up, if it weren't the politicians that were running things, if they weren't uh, necessarily negotiators, but it was actually people trying to work things out together, you think it might might actually work a little better? Yes, a lot of th- a lot of time, um, government try to convince the people that this war is necessary. I don't speak necessarily about Israel. It, it happened a few times in the history, and then people believe it that this was necessary and sometimes sometimes in the history people just said no we don't want this anymore mm-hmm. and created change mm-hmm. I wanted to I'm going to change subjects and ask you about uh, one of the other songs on your album because so many of the songs are very uh, very beautiful and whimsical and this one is a little bit different it's called Stupid Goals and yeah. I, I really liked it a lot, and I wanted to know if you had some examples. Like, what is the song about? What are some of the stupid goals that you might be referring to? A lot. Every every day you have new one, but um, it speaks about first the strong experience I had when I was twenty and I came to Paris, and I put to myself these kind of goals of I wanted to be star and to you know <laughs> I don't know like uh, to have quick success and to have perfect life and I don't know kind of illusions like this mm-hmm. and um, and then it's little things it's just a uh, you know little things in the everyday life uh, little choices so so then I think it's more about my private little fight with, with myself not to forget the important things like people you love and friends family to nourish this and uh, even in music, uh, now, now it's amazing we have success, but not to forget the music and not to forget why we do it, not to run after things. Mm-hmm. Who have been some of your favorite people that you've met and collaborated with on your journey as a musician? Oh, um, well, the, the most incredible musician, uh, which is part of the project, of course, is David Donatien. Oh yeah, of course. But then, <laughs> of course, I couldn't help myself from saying it. You know, but, but it's then, true. Of course, <laughs> what? It, but it's true. I mean, together, yeah, a lot of people say Yael Naim, but it's actually the two of you together, and you together yeah. you really make beautiful music. And often his name isn't mentioned, like I didn't mention it. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And so yes, this was the most important, like musician and person I think I, I met in, in music. And then all our friends that are on stage with us. And then, of course, there's some artists who do their project who are really beautiful, um, artistic and human relation with, which was like Aloy Black recently. She's an amazing voice and artist and human being. Um, what was his name? Aloy Black. Um, um, I don't know in what country. He comes from L.A. Then recently we met so many, I think, Mayra Andrade. Uh, uh, Cap Verde? How do you say Cap Verde in English? Cape Verde, yeah, yeah. Okay, so she comes from there. She's amazing, amazing artist, too. Wow. Um, this was the question, right? Yes, yeah. Then, I'm actually, like, I'm the the technician for the show, Parker Ma, he's a huge music fan, and he. I'm kind of having a bit of a hard time hearing you because uh, the connection is a bit funny, so he's writing down all the names for me that you're saying and keeps nodding, like, oh, yeah, I know that one. Oh, yeah, that uh, one's good. 
<laughs> but I don't know them, so that's why that's why I love doing this show because I meet people who tell me about great music, and it's such a fun way to find out about music. So yeah, yeah. Um, if you could cover any any one person, like, do you have any songs in mind that you'd really love to do a cover of for a future album? Uh, no. No, <laughs> I love to do many, but then to find one that I I want to put in the album, it has to be like to find a really special way to do it. For the first one, it was Toxic of Britney Spears, which was amazing fun to do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and how did you choose that? It was a joke in the beginning, in fact, and we were like, I was thinking like, what could be the most far and funny thing to do. Um, but not for the album. In the beginning, it was just like an exercise. Okay. And then I thought about Toxic and started playing with it and putting a new arrangement. And then I played it to David and he was inspired too. And when he finished it, it was really, he said, wow, we like it. And it it was in the same period, so we felt it belonged to the album. Okay. Um, uh, I would love to, to try some uh, maybe heavy metal song or... Heavy metal. <laughs> it's like there is like taking a good song, good composition, but with a um, how do you say uh, aesthetic, mm-hmm. very different uh, arrangement and aesthetic from what we do, and then see if we can bring it closer to what we do. Well, I, I just wanted to ask you one uh, one last question. There's so many questions <laughs> that I would love to ask you, but I'm going to just ask this one for all the musicians who are listening. What advice would you give to a musician who's trying to make it in this industry? Um, I guess it's first start with the music and not with the industry thing. It's like first, like before wanting to release something, what do you have to say? You know, it, I, I spend years in wanting to release something, but I was not finishing the music and the work. So just concentrate in music and working with people you like for the good reasons. And then together you become strong, but not strong like powerful thing, more like something sincere is born and then maybe it can last and touch other people. Okay. I think that's great advice. Yael Naïm, on vous remercie beaucoup et on est très, très excités de vous voir demain soir à Montréal. Merci beaucoup à vous tous. Okay. Hey, Yael, wait, you know what? There's one last thing. Are you playing at L'Astral or at Metropolis? Ah, uh, just a minute. Can you remind me the name of the, of the venue? L'Astral? L'Astral? L'Astral, yes. Okay, L'Astral. I just wanted to make sure that we don't go to the wrong place. All right. Okay. Okay. Thank okay. you so much, Yael. Thank you very much. Okay. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye bye. That was Yael Naim. She was in Toronto. She had just performed on Q, another show that's not very popular on arts and culture. I don't know. I, I, most people probably haven't heard of it. Not. It's not as big as Shuttle on the Shortwave, right? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Anyways, so we're seeing as she talked about it. I figured it would be fun to play Toxic. So this is Yael Naim, and we'll be back in a couple of seconds on Shuttle on the Shortwave. Should wear a warning It's dangerous I'm falling There's no escape I can't wait I need a hit 
Baby, give me it. You're dangerous. I'm loving it. Was toxic by Yael Naim, and uh, it was such a pleasure to talk to her. She's very sweet, and I'm um, looking forward to seeing her on Saturday night at L'Astral. And her new album is called She Was a Boy. We're going to just uh, change up the tone a little bit for a few seconds here and get the party vibe going on with a song off of So Called's new album, The Sleepover. So, this is Work with What You've Got, and uh, it's really fun. You got to check out the new album by So Called. About everything from my health to my hood I realized that I'm blessed with a lot So all I gotta say is work with what you got They said my voice really wasn't made for rapping Straight out the booth home, it would never happen As a teenager, I had my first child And in all my photos, you never seen a smile But now, I'm the best that ever did it The greatest female rapper, and they all must admit it So all the haters, I say thanks a lot Cause life can turn out really good if you work with what you got I know it's hard, but it takes some work to be if you got nothing or even if you got it all. Working with what you got. I know it's hard, but it takes some work to be. Working with what you got. If you got nothing or even if you got it all. Working with what you got. If you have an idea, just think it. If you have one eye, just blink it. If you have a drop of rum, just drink it. Working with what you got. If you got one leg, just shake it. If you don't want to smile, then fake it. If you got one potato, bake it. Until you can't walk it no more. You gotta walk it, walk it until you know the score. You gotta walk it until you can't walk it no more. If you got nothing on, even if you turn it on. 
If you got one leg, just shake it. If you got one potato, bake it. <laughs> and it's uh, so-called's new album, Sleepover, and it's very different from his old album. Very different from his old album. Uh, right now, we're going to be talking about uh, Jennifer Hirschman Capraru's project, The Monument, that's coming to Montreal. Before we hear from her, I just wanted to make a couple of announcements. If you want to find out about about this play, The Monument, where it's happening, you can find it at shtetlmontreal.com. There's a section called What's New, and there's links to to all the different things that I talk about on Shtetl on the Shortwave, so you can find out where these things are happening, uh, how much they are, descriptions, and all that. And I wanted to mention that on June 5th, there's a festival happening in Montreal called Le Mood. It's a festival of arts, culture, learning, and Shtetl is going to have a live recording uh, of the show there in cooperation with the Myland Havra, which is a group in Montreal that uh, that celebrates also Jewish arts and culture. We're going to do a session called Loaded, and it's going to be all about Jews and money. So that's going to happen at Lemoud on June 5th, and you can check that out, uh, lemoud.ca, to find out more about it. Also happening shortly is the Montreal International Yiddish Theatre Festival, and you can ke- check that out on Facebook. There's there's a lot of really amazing music, theatre, film from all around the world. I just watched one of the films to preview for the festival, and it's Romeo and Juliet in Yiddish, done by Hasidic actors in Brooklyn. Modern day version, with even some exciting exciting scenes in it, Romeo and Juliet style. Uh, And on top of that, there's an exciting production happening in Montreal called The Dibbuk. It's going to be at the Sala Rosa at the end of May, and you can find out more about that also uh, on the website, shtetlmontreal.com. So right now, I want to go to this clip with Jennifer Hirschman Capraro. She's an incredible woman. She's the director of The Monument, and she's spent quite a bit of time in Rwanda, and she's brought the actors who are part of this troupe that she's created, the Isoko Theatre, to Montreal. They're going to be performing on May 10th and 11th. This is uh, a clip, a discussion that I had with her yesterday about about how she ended up being in Rwanda. You ended up going to Rwanda for the first time to work on Shake Hands with the Devil, a film about That's Romeo Dallaire. Yeah, well, I went um, at the last minute. I replaced a girl who did script supervision on second unit, and she'd gotten pregnant. So it was just kind of by chance that I phoned the film union that day. And uh, they said, you know, we have a job, and do you, do you, have you had your shots for Africa? And I'd been to Kenya also kind of par hasard the year before. And do you speak French, and can you leave in a week? Wow. And a week later, I was in Kigali. And, uh, of course, at first, um, I had all these images of the genocide that were kind of imprinted uh, in my mind. And when I would look at the beautiful streets of Kigali, and it's very green, and it's very peaceful, you know. It's mm-hmm. not like a lot of post-conflict zones where the conflict has never really ended. But um, it's very peaceful. There's a lot of security. It's very safe for mm-hmm. foreigners as well. And so it was really incongruous. But then we started shooting, and, you know, we, we were, all of a sudden, we were back in 1994. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty intense. And the... The crew, half the crew, I think, maybe, you probably have to check this, but I think there's probably about maybe 250 people on it. And half of them were Rwandan, and they'd worked on a lot of other films. A lot of them, you know, they're 
They're survivors, and some of them are the not survivors. <laughs> and um, it was—I was really impressed by their courage. Did you get to know a lot of them and become friends with them, or hear about their stories? I did make some good friends, Tamara, and. Uh, you know, like happens often in film shoots, there's theater people kind of hiding in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I met a few people that were actors and some that were working in scenography, and I found a lady who was a, a director. Um, in terms of people telling stories, it's I never ask. Mm-hmm. They're always really horrible stories. You always think, oh, maybe these people kind of were okay, but no. They, I mean, they're alive, but their family went through hell. And uh, I wait for them to tell me if they want to. I don't always want to hear them Mm. Um, you know but the situation has to be right you know like uh, during April then I ended up going back during April which is the genocide started on the 7th of April 1994 that's the beginning of the 100 days and that ended on July 4th well during that period everyone's thinking about it feeling about it going to funerals any bodies that are found are are buried during that time and they're still finding them right Uh And, and that's I know So you, you started up this uh, theater company, Isoko? Yeah, Isoko. It means the source, and it also means the market. It has a double meaning. started it, like, in 2008 Okay. Uh, with a group of artists I was working with on the monument. Like, it's, so it's not like some big NGO. It's a small artist-run organization. We're trying to build sustainability and all that, but it's quite difficult. You know, the, the government's really occupied with providing security and public health and education and they're really into IT, and they want to make it like the new Bangalore, the hub of East Africa and stuff. So I think the arts are, you know, slower to develop. The play The Monument was not originally about Rwanda, right? No. Colleen Wagner wrote it in 1993 when there was 43 civil wars going on. And certainly she was influenced by Bosnia, by East Timor. She, she wanted to, I think, create a document that was, um, uh, you know, had a universal residence. <clears throat> so it was easy to adapt it to the Rwandan context. For us, it was, yeah. But I, I still kept some things that are like, you know, some of the words, some of the names, um, some of the things like the rape camps, all that. That you know, that's all very Bosnian. Can you tell us a little bit about what what the storyline of the play is? So, um, well, first of all, like they they should know that they're going to go see a piece of contemporary theater, you know, that has a lot of movement, a lot of images, a lot of staging. It has live drumming. It has live music, a cappella, incredible singing. The form of the play, uh, the production, I wanted to make it very beautiful because the content is so difficult. Mm-hmm. So they should, they should know that. And um, it's a story of a mother, basically, who's looking for her daughter, uh, who probably was uh, killed during the genocide. And she saves the life of a young soldier who's been accused of raping and killing 23 girls because she thinks maybe one of those girls is her daughter. And um, at the top of the play, there's really 25 people who are dead because the soldier and the mother are both also dead because of the trauma they've gone through in the war. And they kind of humanize each other throughout the play. So even though they, they hate each other, they need each other. And it has poetry in it. It has comedy. Some of it is quite... You know, they're swearing. Like, it, it really goes all over the map. What is it like for the actors from from Rwanda to play these roles? Is it difficult for them? Yeah, sometimes it's very difficult, and sometimes it's not, because they're kind of 
You know, in, in, in Africa, a lot of people sing and they play an instrument and they're storytellers and it's kind of, they have an oral culture, so they're kind of natural actors, not everyone, but a lot of them. So, so there, there's fun in rehearsal where, we, you know, because they're really moving forward and, but at the same time, the material is so difficult and, you know, they, they could sometimes they have like little trauma attacks and we have to stop and they cry. This is mostly the woman actress, uh, Jacqueline, who plays Mejra. She, she really suffers. It's, I don't know if it's harder to tell your own story, which is what she's doing, or tell another one's story, which is what John Paul is doing because he's a survivor as well. Hmm. But he's playing a killer. Wow. And he's very convincing. There's more cohabitation than reconciliation in Rwanda, but cohabitation can lead to reconciliation. I don't know if you can really forgive the people that, you know, that, that decimated your family. I, I don't think I can forgive the people that destroyed, exterminated my mother's family in Belgium during the Second World War. My mom's a survivor, you know, mm-hmm. and she brought me up with, with this sense of continuity and a sense of storytelling and being proud of who you are, and she gave me so much strength. and. It helped me to be an artist, and so when I went to Rwanda by by accident and met these people, I really I felt her presence very much. The people I work with, they're younger, so maybe their parents did something, but they didn't, okay. and they also suffer, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, our group is a bit mixed, but I, you know, I will discuss my own ethnic background with people if it's necessary, but I, I don't really discuss that at the actors because they don't themselves. Mm-hmm. They need to be asked directly, and we've had people asking that at the world stage, like, are you a Georgia And it's just, it's, it, it's not a good question. It's not it, a useful question. It's not a que- no? it's good question to ask them whether they're a Hutu or a Tutsi. It's like, yeah, it's not really, because it's, it's not that people aren't allowed to talk about it. They do, because you know what? They, they know, they see each other in a different way than we do. Like, they know, oh, you know, you were living in Congo in a refugee camp for years. Well, that's probably a Hutu person. Or, you know, the person speaks English, they were in Uganda, their family ran away, they're probably a Tutsi. And, you know, there are so many markers that they can read mm-hmm. that we can't. So they don't really need to discuss it. They kind of know, just like they always did. I, I'm also curious to know what it's like to direct a play in a language that's not your <laughs> your language. Is that difficult? It's like directing in Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, God, um... Uh, that was the thing I was most worried about, Tamara, but actually it wasn't that big a deal because they, they all speak really great French. So thankfully, growing up in Montreal with a Belgian mom and a French-Canadian stepdad, I spoke French. Okay. And I went to French school till grade four. So they also all speak English now because um, Kagami decided it should be English. <laughs> they learn English. And um, it's, it wasn't that hard. You also you were the director of the director. trial. The Trials of John Demyanyuk. What a wonderful experience. <laughs> Another, that was a play about the Shoah. Yeah, I, I worked on that. Um, toured it in Canada, and it did really well, and we'll probably do it again someday. So and it's, it's about retribution and war crimes. Okay, and you call it a Holocaust cabaret? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Can you describe what a Holocaust cabaret consists of? <laughs> it basically, there's, uh, there's the... There's people that uh, sing and dance and play accordion, and even even in Terezin and other camps, there you know there was some kind of cultural life. I think that's very important to us as Jews. And um, although the Rwandan genocide is 17 years ago, and the genocide against the Jews was you know, 70, I think that's something that has helped us pull us out of the swamp by our own hair. Uh, is, the, is culture and you know our kind of um, 
in the Shema of the Jews, really. And um, so I thought, again, it's a really horrible story, and how can I present it to people? Like, if you present a horrible story in a really horrible, cruel kind of production, like, it's going to be really hard for people. So you have to kind of invite them in. You have to kind of please them. You have to kind of seduce the audience a little, a little music, a little accordion, some jokes. Once they feel comfortable, then you kind of whack them. <laughs> right, right. And this trial is still going on right now as we speak, right? Yeah, they're calling him the oldest Nazi, or the last Nazi. The last Nazi. And he's, I don't know, he's 93 or something. It's on the Internet, but... I didn't realize that you came from a family where they were survivors, so I was going to ask you whether your Jewish background played a role in you wanting to produce this play, The Monument, that's going to be at the Mai uh, in in a week from now, about? Yeah, May, May 10th, uh, we'll be playing at 8 o'clock with French surtitles, and on May 11th, we'll be playing with English surtitles, and there'll be a discussion with the artists afterwards. It's a really unique opportunity. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see, uh, like, top-notch one an artist who are who live through the genocide and are able to articulate the story of it. Okay. And they're really amazing people. They're full of life. They're full of energy, and they're, it's their first time in Canada. And I think we should really welcome them. And it, it would be it would be great if uh, we haven't really performed for the Jewish community. I just haven't had the resources to kind of organize it. But it would be great if because then they can see that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it also happened with us, and it happened, obviously, with the Armenians and Cambodians and Sudanese, and they feel a bit kind of isolated and forgotten. So that was Jennifer Hirschman Capraru, and she's directing the play The Monument. And uh, like she said, it would be great if people would come out and, and see the play. You can find out all about it. It's uh, at the Mai um, in that that's on Jeanne Moss, a theater on Jeanne Moss. It's on May 10th and 11th. For more information, you can go to the Stadel Montreal site and it's all there. And I also just wanted to make mention of another website, lifestoriesmontreal.ca. They are, um, it's an organization run out of, I think, Concordia. And uh, they record stories of genocide survivors in Montreal from all different communities. And there is a Rwandan working group and, and, and also a Holocaust working group. And they do a lot of great work. So if you want to find out more about what they're doing, uh, and in, in particular, uh, they had a, um, a commemoration of the Rwandan genocide uh, not long ago. You can find out more about that at lifestories. At lifestoriesmontreal.ca. And uh, that's it for the show today. It was a really uh, exciting show for me. I was so happy that we got to hear from from. Yael Naim herself, and I think she had some nice, interesting things to say, uh, and I was glad that she talked a little bit about Israel and her relationship there, and also so interesting talking to Jennifer Hirschman Capraru about her project, uh, The Monument, and I'm looking forward to seeing that play. So, like I said, today's show is dedicated to mothers, and earlier we heard André Toussaint, the Calypso King singing My Yiddish Mama. And we're going to go out with another song by an artist called Phoebe Snow. She uh, passed away on April 26th of this year. She was 60 years old, a Jewish woman who uh, was really big in the 70s and uh, has a really incredible voice. And she has an interesting story herself, a little bit sad, but powerful. When she was uh, in 1975, married for a very short while, she gave birth to a daughter who uh, had a serious intellectual disability and 
instead of institutionalizing her, she decided to take care of her. And she did at home for her whole life until her daughter, uh, Valerie Rose died uh, at the age of 31. But she sort of put her whole huge, massive career on hold on the back burner just to take care of her daughter. And in fact, when she made this decision to keep her daughter and not put her in an institution, her husband left her. And so she did it all on her own. So again, this is Phoebe Snow. The song is called Poetry Man, and it's dedicated to all the hard, hardworking single moms out there. Happy Mother's Day. And tune in in two weeks for another episode of Shtetl on the Shortwave. Oh, yeah. And of course, thank you to Parker Ma for teching the show today. Make things